Hello, everyone. Welcome to Caster Coles with Zombie Grub, episode 51. So we're in the latter half, man. We're going to get to 100 one day. Uh, I have someone who I think is just, I don't know, it's its a name probably that you've heard, uh, especially if you were involved back in StarCraft II a long time ago. But honestly, if you're in CSGO or just anything in esports, uh, Sir Scoots <laughs> is, I mean, it's as I was saying before, Ed, it's like it's an honor to have you. Um, I'm really looking forward to any of the, you know, kind of behind the scenes knowledge that you have since you're in that particular position that very few are where you were there kind of from the beginning and were able to watch it unfold and not just as a mere bystander, but as someone is, you know, actively involved. So super awesome to have you. Um, I know some people might not recognize you, however, as you're not uh, necessarily like an on-air talent, so they might not see your face too often. Uh, so if you give us like a background as to, to who you are and how you've gotten to, I guess, where you are now, that'd be exactly what we need. Sure. I'll, I'll try to do this one quick because I am an old dude. Um, so you, you're on fifty episode 51. I'm about to turn 56, episode 56 this year for me. Uh, <laughs> longtime gamer. Um, so again, grew up around gaming for me. That would have been Ataris and all the early, early consoles and then the arcades, Asteroids, all the arcade machines. So that's kind of my upbringing you know i guess first generation arcade kid right just so obviously all the stuff now computers uh, never stopped gaming just always just upgraded how i gamed right um so in this space though in the sense of like the modern day era i would say counter-strike is the game when it dropped in 99 kind of grabbed me as not only an amazing multiplayer game but gave me the the inkling of this idea of competing with other people right before it was called esports we still did this thing where we played each other just didn't have a name for it so that game is what literally got me competitively as a gamer you know years prior to that it would have been single player games or casual competitive games in the sense of like the marios or whatever so counter-strike is the one that i went whoa Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Skill gap difference between everyone and their mother playing the game and people that can be really, really good at it. And it, you just started to see that with Quake and Doom as well in that era when Counter-Strike dropped, like the dueling games of Quake. Big difference between the guys who are really good and everybody else trying to play. And and I, I just, I never stopped like the train of caring about competitive gaming. So Counter-Strike led me to being in a clan called UGP. We would save our money and go to CPL events to get our ass kicked by everybody else. We were not a good team. It was like a Tuesday softball team for us, right? We were not like 3D or Complexity or SK, the, the you know, all these big teams. That led me to understanding that, wow, there's actually an industry kind of slowly starting to grow or at least a hive mind of people that believe and care about the same shit that, oh, this is like sports. This is kind of cool. Um, so at those CPL events, I bumped into guys at Gofrag who were a media company or a fledgling bunch of guys who wanted to be a media company uh, and were basically becoming an ESPN of Counter-Strike. They were doing coverage and roster moves and all this stuff. And they asked me, hey, you want to come help us? And I was like, well, and again, back then help was volunteering. No one got paid anything. We were all helping. Um, so I went and worked for, I, I used the word work uh, at Gofrag for a while um, and started to realize that, okay, this is very sports-like. We have fans, we have athletes, we've got media, we've got marketing money being spent with the people trying to sell me mice and mouse pads and stuff. There's something here. Uh Gafrag led me to helping grow that company. We all ended up 
we did end up getting paid. And it's when I started dipping my toes into content creation, both at CPLs with Jason Baker, who's my partner here at Do Not Peak. He had a company called MFA VP, and they would go to CPLs and they would record players playing. They would then go grab the demo and they would make frag like literally the best frag movies ever. Because not only was it the great in-game frags, but they were filming the five players playing and putting them all together. Before we were doing it live, MFA VP was doing it up in their hotel rooms and kicking it right back out. The match you didn't watch or the match you only saw the demo of, now here's the players. Here's the here's the actual gameplay footage all synced together. So I meet Jason there. He asked me to do some interviews for him for MFA VP. I do that. I have no problem talking in front of people. I never have had a problem. So I'm doing Gotfrag. I do some stuff for MFA VP. And then... Gofrag gets bigger. We get bought by the MLG brand at the time. And so we start a small studio here in town. Jason moves out here. We run Gofrag TV for about a year or so. All broadcasting, big events, uh, Counter-Strike, a couple other. We did a fear tournament, a bunch of different stuff. So, But again, along that lines of, hey, let's tell the story of these sports. Let, let's do this, right? Live production is, is in our blood. Gofrag comes and goes. Um, the management that bought us leaves MLG. We get kind of asked to move to New York City or not have jobs anymore. Jason and I were like, not moving to New York City to work on Halo. So thank you. Anyway, we went freelance. Around this time, um, Alex Garfield is the owner of Evil Geniuses and has been friends of mine for a couple years and is always asking me, hey, you want to come help my team? And I was always like, why would I want to help your team? You're like, you're not even 3D. You're not even complexity. They became better than them after a while um, during the CGS time. But I was always like, I work for ESPN. Why do I want to work for a crappy team? Like I work for something that covers all the teams. Why would I want to just dial into one little team? Well, after got frag, he knocks on my door. I go work for Evil Geniuses, COO and CEO, a couple different titles over the years to help Alex grow EG to the next biggest, better, better thing, which we did. I do that for a couple years. I'm doing a podcast called Live on 3 for a couple years with Slasher and DJ Wheat. Um, and I get to the point where I'm kind of torn. Uh, I, I'm a really outspoken person, right? Really vocal. A uh, lot of problems in our scene. I like calling out uh, the bad actors and trying to get them out of our scene. And I found myself in a quandary, Jess. Like, I'm representing me, but now I'm representing this big old brand of evil geniuses and our guys got logos all over their shirts and they're getting in trouble when they say stuff they shouldn't say. And I start going, wait a minute, am I checking? Am I losing my own voice? Cause I'm worried about, I represent evil geniuses. I'm one of the bosses. I'm one of the owners. And if I'm on live on three or any other podcast and I start ripping to shreds, another team owner, Am I ripping to shreds that team owner because they deserve it or because I compete with them because I have evil geniuses? Stuff like that. And I started like having this existential crisis, like who am I? What am I here for? Am I a better loudmouth and a, an arbiter of truth or am I better as a corporate suit of evil geniuses? And I decided I didn't like the corporate – not that evil geniuses at all, corpo. But I was like, you know what? My voice is the most important thing to me, and I will not check it for anyone. So I quit Evil Geniuses, and I even quit the podcast. I was like, you know, we had the podcast had sponsors, and I was like, I don't, I don't know what I want to do, but I don't want to do this middle of everything world. So I quit, went pure freelance, and started doing production. 
Um, and even during my time at EG, I was doing productions from the Gofrag days on. You know, Jason and I got a reputation for being able to do productions. Um, so then I started doing a bunch of production work, directing, producing for all sorts of, you know, ESLs, Blizzard, Activision, Gfinity, Sevo, uh, Face It. I did Face It's first ever Quake tournament when they did QuakeCon years ago. So, and I, and I kind of like that because, you know, again, hired gun, roll in get the job done, get out. Um, and I could say whatever I wanted around that, right? My voice was my own again. Now, the problem with being a freelancer is if you don't book the days, you don't get paid, right? That's the downside of being a freelancer. If you're a busy freelancer, it's great. If you're an unbusy freelancer, it's very scary. So I do that for a while. And then Counter-Strike Global Offensive drops, right? Um, and immediately, like, obviously... We're all like, okay, this game is not 1.6. This is not the game we know and love. Valve, what are you doing? you got to fix all this shit. Like, a lot of us were very outspoken. Like, this is great. You've upgraded it, but you've not upgraded our game. Thankfully, where we're at now is a million plus people were watching Counter-Strike yesterday, right? Uh, so, long time coming, but our game is in a great place. But during all that, I immediately start getting asked if I want to host these majors, right? We start doing tournaments and majors, and I'm an outspoken Counter-Strike guy, so I start saying yes to all this stuff. Uh, the very first thing I did was I was an analyst for the very first major. BSL was the host, and me and Thorin were the analysts. I am not an analyst. I would be the first to say I'm not that kind of on-air person. Thorin, for sure. Me, no. BSL, good host. But I think what happened out of that was people realized that this guy, I would be a decent host, right? And so I started getting asked if I would host those desks instead of analyze on those desks. And I was like, yes, please. So I did, I think, six majors uh, when I was all said and done and a couple other events for a couple different companies. Mostly desk host, right? Um, and really liked it. Um, I liked the ringleader job of desk host, you know? Um, and then... What kind of happened is a lot better host started showing up. Richard Lewis started showed up, did Turner stuff, and then, you know, became freelancer for other people. Um, you know, watching Shocks today was hosting, you know, Counter-Strike. Much better people showed up, and I don't like traveling that much, so I just slowly started saying no to gigs. So it was more like I was hosting because there was no one else, and once the better people showed up, like, have the gigs. Richard, have the gigs. Shocks, Freya, Frankie, Alex. I get, all of them are great hosts, right? Um, I, I was lucky just to do it, I think. Um, and then, so I do that for a while. Um, and then uh, I'm basically retired because, again, Evil Geniuses got bought by Twitch several years after I left Twitch. But I owned paper, so I had a really nice payday from that. So that allowed me to freelance and not have to worry about booking 200 days of my freelance. I could pick and choose, take the gigs I wanted, and then I could figure out what the hell I wanted to do with my life when I grew up. And as it turns out, what I wanted to do was start a production company with Jason Baker called Do Not Peak Entertainment. <laughs> so about six, seven months before the pandemic hit us, so three years ago now, we started a production company based in Phoenix, Arizona, studio-based. So we have we're in a facility we're meant to use the facility. We don't want to travel the world and produce for other people anymore. We'll produce for you, but you got to come to us. Because, again, quality of life, having a home life, all those things are really important to us and the staff we hire. So, uh, And most of our staff are also ex-freelancers who were road warriors who, again, also got tired of being a road warrior. Um, so that's what we do. We are a full-service production company. We make our own content. 
so we do a weekly show on Valorant called Valoranting every Tuesday. We're a premier Twitch partner. We'll always spin up our own IP, but we're here to make content for other people. We're rentable, white label, co-brandable, the whole nine yards. That is, I think, me, maybe the quickest I've ever done it. Um, <laughs> and that's Do Not Pee. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Okay. So it started with, um, I guess, very, uh, you know, everything at once, uh, freelance style, early esports style production. And then it's come full circle to more <laughs> organized professional production. Yep. Uh, yep. So that's, that's pretty cool. Now uh, we're a freelance you- company. Hire our company. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Um, did did you have any background in particular? Like, did you go to university for anything that would be relevant for this, or was it really just like everyone wanted, you know, help? So I helped everyone. A- absolutely not. I went to school uh, for hotel and restaurant administration, um, huh. and I didn't graduate. I quit because even when I was getting my degree, I went to school in Las Vegas, UNLV, great school, uh, one of the best schools on the planet for hotel and restaurant management. It's what they're known for, but also a really distracting place if you're a student. Um, and I grew up in Nevada. I grew up in Lake Tahoe, which is Northern Nevada. So gambling and like, I, I all my friends that I met in college lost their mind. Again, imagine you're an 18 year old kid from the East coast or anywhere, but Nevada, and you go to school in Las Vegas, right? People lose their minds. Mom, I need more book money. No, you don't. You lost all the book money on blackjack. I never had that problem, but again, partying, drinking, had a great time. But the point is I was going to school for a, a career path that is very much a get in there and do it kind of job and not necessarily where you need a degree. You don't need a hotel degree unless you want to be a top of food and beverage general man. Like my dad was a general manager of hotels for years, never had a degree, never went to college. So if you want it in the accounting or you want to be in the legal side of it, okay, sure. Those degrees help. But I basically was like, I'm just wasting my parents' money at this point in my own money. Like I'm just fucking around. I, I can go into the hotel business and start. And I did. Because every summer I would go work in resorts and I was just like, I'm getting more education every summer working in those resorts than I am in Vegas listening to a 70-year-old professor tell me about hotel law that is 20 years old, right? <laughs> it's very much a you can – like don't need the degree kind of thing. So I just went and did it. I just went into the industry and I spent 20 years in the hotel restaurant industry. Um, now, I would say a lot of why I'm – I have no problem talking. I don't get nervous. I'm very outspoken is because I was very forward facing in my hotel career. A lot of front front service jobs, front desk clerks, bellmen, you know, bartender, all these things where you're talking to guests or you're being yelled at from guests or upset people. I, 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 I earned my, like, there's nothing a CEO could ever say to me that I haven't already heard from some asshole drunk in Colorado. Right. Um, so, while nothing to do with production, I, I, my my career was event logistics. I was a meeting planner. So I helped do big events, small events, World Cups, uh, Olympics, all these kind of things. So where I think it does help me is production logistics, right? Not so much on air. I'm talking to a camera, but like figuring out how you feed people, figuring out logistics of getting people to and from. There's a whole lot of logistics of an event that have nothing to do with the camera is being turned on and that is second nature to me. And it's, it's actually one of the most exciting things about being here is I get to do a little bit of that again, logistics of, okay, what are we, what are we feeding people? How we, you know, very basic stuff, but again, kind of pushes my buttons. Yeah. It sounds like it actually really would help the position that you found yourself in. So hundred percent. That's um, 
that worked out well, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I think there's a lot to learn as far as organizing. I mean, there's a lot to be said about doing something because then you realize all like the pitfalls and the mistakes. And when you have someone who has years and years of experience doing that, like it's something you don't appreciate until you have it go wrong, right? Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, I've never been on the backside of things, but I've had events where it's very clear that someone did not kind of like run this through their head, right? Uh, it's very annoying. Uh, hopefully, I, I don't think I've, I've ever worked with anything that you guys have done, but hopefully it's a lot better <laughs> with what you guys do. Um, so, you know, the, that that makes a lot of sense as to why you would it would work for you in the production side of things. You mentioned already in like your, your story here the, about storytelling that you wanted to make sure to tell the story of the players. Um, where did you pick that up, basically? Because I know it sounds very simple and like, of course, like that's what we all talk about all the time nowadays. But it feels actually that I've talked to a lot of people and stories kind of the last thing they get to. They 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 have an idea of what they want to do, but storytelling is kind of like the last thing. And they're like, well, we're storytellers. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I guess I am. So did you watch sports? Did you have a fascination with like documentaries? Um, was there anyone that you looked to and you were like, that's that's the heart of why that content was good and it's storytelling? Did Or did you figure that out on your own? Yeah, I, I think, again, I think Jason and I both are amateur cinephiles and we, we like chew on every show that we can and talk about it. Jason, even more so than me when it comes to cinematography and pacing and storytelling of a show and a season. And, you know, and we very quickly uh, sat down together when we decided to, the got frag days, you know, because counter-strike, right? Okay. How do you, what is counter-strike? How do you show it to the world? Right. You got to start with something and we broke it down and it, for us, again, the storyline of Counter-Strike is the story of the bomb, right? And that bomb is your football. And that football is what you need to keep an eye on, right? That is the sport of it. And we very quickly realized that Counter-Strike has a match story. It's got a half story. And it's got a round story, right? And or And it's a best of five. So it's got maybe multiple maps. But they all start with that round, right? So what is the logic? What is the science of because it's sure we're all in a creative industry but there's a science to providing the creativity right there's a process you watch a football game they do this this graphic comes up then they cut to this camera then they cut to this camera then the balls hike it, it, it it's a dance but it's very logistical in its creativity so we broke it down well what what are our rules of the engagement of counter-strike well keep an eye on that bomb keep you know the story is this team has to plant this bomb that is the story. Everything else is secondary to it. Then once you have that story, who are who who is who who are the heroes of our story or who are the villains of our story? Well, it's a Navi game. Simple is our hero, right? Um, so and then you dive into the players, the rosters, who's the opera, who whose job it is to do what. The map, when you pick that map, it instantly lays out the possible story. The easiest one is Nuke back in the day, incredibly CT sided map. So you've instantly started with a storyline on Nuke of whoever starts on CT has the advantage. So you've got these storyline threads that start the minute you're doing something, right? And then you start pulling them, right? Then, overarchingly, you need to then jab that into your on-air people's brains, right? You're right. I think most people that do this job, on-air talent, don't think of it the mm. right way. Right way is the wrong thing to say. They don't think of it above, I got to fucking talk really quick and not fuck up, right? Um, 
very, I think very few do real deep homework. So in shocks would be a prime example of what everyone and their mother should emulate because she not only comes up with the storylines, she then figures out how to get them produced, Hmm. right? It's one thing to go, yep, storyline in this match is this team versus that team. And then I'm I'm just going to say it, but a real honest to God professional goes and knocks on production's door and goes, this is the storyline. Here's what I need from you. I need this graphic. I need this video. I need this graphic. Help me tell the story because I can just sit there and pontificate to the camera and chat, but the story is better told with graphics always, right? We don't, we always like to see shit in front of us. We, you know, if it's just three people talking, it gets old real quick, right? TV is terrible at it in comparison to us. They will switch off cameras every five seconds because they think we really can't handle it. We can't handle staring at someone, right? So quick, 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 grab it. Quick, 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 grab it. And yes, we have ADD, but esports is a little more nuanced with our conversations. So yeah, storylines to me are key. You know, show is king, content is king. And that storyline is not just that whoever wins moves to the next bracket, right? It's always, there's always something there. And I think, and I was just watching before this show. Half-Life TV confirmed was doing a podcast. It just started. Shocks was talking about how she was comparing and contrasting the storylines of Counter-Strike to League of Legends. Obviously, she's League of Legends. She does LEC every week. And she loves Counter-Strike because one storyline you'll never get in a franchise league is a rag to riches story. You'll never get a little team that qualified out of their region. Then they made it out of the RMR, and now they're on the big stage. Because all those teams bought in, they're all on the big stage, right? Those kind of storylines only come from games like Counter-Strike, right? Um, Because we have an open qualification system. So there's all sorts of storylines, right? That thread of the team, you know, Goliath and David. And, again, storylines of the actual match, of the actual side, of the actual round. I'm talking a lot about stories because you brought it up. But I think – and Jason would tell you – because Jason spent decades observing, teaching people how to observe the game because, again, what sports doesn't have that we have is this in-game tool, right, an observing client. Some are better than others, right? Sports wishes that they could put a fucking camera on every goddamn athlete, right? They get one. Depend on the sport or if they're NASCAR, they, you know, so how do you use that tool, right? How do you train for that tool? And, you know, Jason is legendary for teaching observers the idea of storylines, Prius and Sapphire and everybody else who now talks about what's the story of this half that I need to keep an eye on as the camera operator. What's the story of the round? Where do I need to be at the start of this round? What is the story I need to tell? Because the observer cameras are the ones that tell the casters what they're kind of talking about, right? Because that's what they talk over. So really important that your camera operators are in the loop on the stories, right? Um, Because it's not just don't miss a frag. Like that's the easy, like don't fuck up and be on a dead person. But figuring out the storylines and keeping your cameras on them are paramount for the casters doing their job and then the fans at home enjoying that process. Hmm. There's a lot of interesting things <laughs> to talk about there. Um, I mean, first of all, of course, as a StarCraft II, uh, you know, main game, I, I watch a lot of the other sports. So um, I, I know that StarCraft II is one of the more complex games and that 
a lot of that is because the story is kind of all over the place. You know, Blizzard would literally ask us, like, is there a way to reduce StarCraft in numbers? And yeah. we said, no, there's really not. Um, but that is what I wanted to do because everyone, every other esport has these really easy numbers to watch, right? So you're going to watch the amount of time they have to, to plant the bomb or defuse the bomb. You're going to watch like the numbers of the round and know when you get to, what does CSGO, 15? Um, yep. Yeah, then then you're you're good to go, right? Um, or if that like four people are alive and one person's alive, that's really easy. <laughs> that's, you know, what's going to win? Where you compare a lurker to 10 Marines and you're like, yeah. Um, so anyways, so when you were, you know, watching, I get you, you got to watch all of this kind of unfold, right? You got to watch StarCraft 2 and that boom. And then you got to watch CSGO actually develop out of the apparently crappy game that it initially was, um, you know, and you still kind of kept all that storytelling intact. Always my question here, when it's not an easy game, when it's not an easy game or an easy content that just has like one strong story, what do you find yourself doing then? Like, how did you make stories out of StarCraft? It's kind of the I- easy question yeah i i think it's starcraft obviously we always had almost always the foreigner versus the korean right mm, we were the yeah. foreigner like, so again you think of like again storylines start with that right like so and then you start trickling down i think starcraft i i explained it one time to my friend is is what like scott you you're you're you run eg you've got all these players you're you're i was actually producing some of the mlg events like, but you don't play it. I go, it's too thinky for me. Like, I have a hard enough time watching it, let alone fucking trying to actually not lose at it, right? Because I'm also very competitive, and it's not it, – it, it is a thinky – it is a more thoughtful game because, like, Counter-Strike is a little basic but then gets really tough, right? Um, and I think that's a, an awesome thing of both games. Like, I can play StarCraft. I just won't play it well, right? Um, so I think StarCraft, it always started with who's playing who. What is that storyline, right? Was there history there? And then, obviously, you fall into the classes they've picked. Is there storylines of, the uh, you know, Terran's been nerfed this month in MLG, so fuck. Good luck there, the Muslim. You're going to, you know. So storylines that, you know, you, you kind of start trickling down. Then you get to the match, the head, the head-to-head. What map have they picked? Have they played each other? Where are they in the tournament? But you're right. I think, I think StarCraft... I think, and I'm not obviously never actually broadcast myself on air, StarCraft guy. I think their challenges are probably twofold. A, how do you explain to the hardcore people that do know exactly what the heck's going on in such a way that doesn't dumb it down? How do you dumb it down enough that if I'm brand new to the WCS or I've just, you know, oh, this is exciting. What is this? I watched Artosis a few times. How do you, how do you not confuse me? Right. Uh, it's that it's that fine line of like keeping the hardcore entertained and not like, well, this is like Fisher Price Starcraft. You know, <laughs> what are you doing, Roddy? You're talking to me like I'm five. Right. Um, and, and I don't think I, I think all our casters, for the most part, any game, we, we don't do that. We don't dumb it down. Like I have I have never heard a, a Counter-Strike caster go, hey, by the way, if you're just tuning in, they played a 15 rounds and. One team has the bomb, and like we don't do it, right? They don't do it in football or baseball either. Hey, if you just tune in, they play four downs in football. They have to move the ball ten yards, and they like, no one does that. So I love that, right? But I think, I think the challenge of StarCraft always was, and I think it's an esport challenge that I don't know if we'll we'll fix. Jess, our our viewership numbers seem to somehow correlate to player numbers still. 
Hmm. Right. So if your player base ain't big, your viewership base odds are are it doesn't start well for you. Right. Um, and I think Starcraft has that problem. I think Quake has that problem. Incredible mm-hmm. games at their tier one. Arguably, maybe two of the most amazing types of dueling on the planet RTS and, and Quaking. Right. Um, <laughs> FPS 1v1 and RTS v1v1. There you go. Talk about like nobody else is going to fucking help you. No team, nobody else. But. Also not incredibly popular player bases. And I really, I think that hurts them. Mm. Um, Because again, watching Rafa play Quake is like godlike. Watching some of those Starcrafters, godlike. But I just, I've always thought like, will someone watch Starcraft if they don't give a shit about Starcraft at all? Mm. And I'm not saying no one does. There are people that don't have it installed that do watch every day. Right. I don't play Counter-Strike anymore, but I watch it every day. Right. But I I think that doesn't help the business case of the numbers of these esports, unfortunately, which then marketing spends and talent spends all lead into that number. Right. Um, I've definitely gotten off your Starcraft, your your question about, like, how do you keep it exciting? Um, I I think there's always storylines, I think, to answer your question. I think a good talent will always find them, right? And at the end of the day, even if the storyline is light, the storyline is still these two are playing each other right now for something. That's a storyline in, in and of itself, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, thir- uh, I think where we, where, where we get lucky sometimes is most of our events are a weekend tournament. They mean something. Right now, there's some league play for a lot of our esports now, but it's not like every traditional sport has a whole bunch of just regular season, then playoffs, then the Super Bowl stuff. Right. You know, we don't have to worry, I guess, as much about Thursday night NBA games and who's watching them, because everything is always a little bit more for something, if that makes sense. So the storyline is already magically elevated. Oh, at the end of the weekend is 100 grand on the line. Right. Um, Yeah. 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 I, I know what you're getting at about the, the weekend events. I mean, there's something always a lot more exciting about weekend events, even if yeah. there was a lead up to it. Right. Yep. Um, you know, and that's something that we still do is, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of like, how do you make those people who are excited about the weekend event get back to the, the regionals are literally going on yep. right now and no one knows. Um, so they, I mean, that's, you're right. Like it, it just kind of elevates the excitement. It's really easy as well when there is a crowd, you know, after the two years of COVID talk about that, yeah. like it's so much easier to kind of feel what, feel what they are really excited about too. Yeah. Um, literally you can feel it when they get excited about something, excited about a player, excited about a style, and you can choose to, to push that. Um, but, you know, you mentioned, you know, the player base issue, which, yeah, I think Starcraft is, it's definitely been looked at as one of the games that has more people who don't play it. Yep. who still watch it uh which is great but yeah as uh, you know overall i mean i think we would be i was told we'd be in the top 10 of steam if we were on steam um but then there's this weird like expectation yeah. versus reality kind of thing with starcraft regardless you watch the boom of csgo um so to step i'm gonna step away from the story for a little bit here um and maybe get back into it afterwards because it kind of also goes into like a money mm-hmm. um follow-up question but first of all you watch csgo go from what is this game? Why did you release it like this? To what it is now, which is you know arguably the most or second most popular esport. So, 
what do you think changed? I know there's like a lot of gameplay stuff changed, but then, you know, specifically what brought people back? How did you convince people to come back to a game or how did they convince people, not you, um, convince people to come back to a game that kind of it had its start, it had its first impression. And then it was like, well, it's kind of old at this point. Is anyone going to come back into it? Because people absolutely did. And I don't think it's exactly ease of use because I didn't know this for years, but apparently CSGO, you have to like have like an IC cup thing. <laughs> you have to like have a different installer to get the, the ladder going. Um, anyways, so from your perspective, what made CSGO kind of that rarity where it had its first impression, failed, and then actually is is what it is today? Yeah, well, I think I think a good eSport is hard to come by in general, right? I mean, we've now we're slowly, the road behind us is littered with eSports attempts, right? We're going to brink and diabolical and all these games that were really trying and diabolical was good but just didn't yeah, didn't yeah. didn't do it um counter strike obviously came out in 1999 two college kids made it off a mod for half life never thought in their mind there was, esports didn't exist stadiums didn't exist um it's just a really solid multiplayer game right um and so even when counter strike global offensive dropped we were still competing on 1.6. It was still had a circuit. It was, you know, obviously it wasn't shiny. It was very old. Money was heading towards the newer titles. I mean, StarCraft II, a lot of those kind of games when Twitch was booming. But that, that new era, League of Legends, all these new games, you know, it was looking, that engine was looking worse and worse, right? But hardcore competitive scene, perfect gameplay elements, just was still rocking and rolling. So once Valve took heed, and, and a lot of the issues that we had with the game, the pro scene had with the game, didn't mean the casuals weren't like, oh my God, Counter-Strike's back. Like, it got very popular very quickly. But just a lot of the stuff that we were used to in 1.6 wasn't there yet. It's like, wait a minute, you what? You got to fix all this shit. And they did. They did slowly fix it, got it less Source-like and more 1.6-like. Um, and I, I, so I think a couple things. A, the game itself just... Got upgraded, but the game is still the game. 5v5, plant a bomb, diffuse a bomb. That's it. Like, that hasn't changed, right, from 1.6 to now. Um, you know, sure, a little bit of money economy has changed, a little bit of round time has changed, but literally the gameplay, it's still soccer. It is still the same thing that those guys invented in 99. So I think that's the one thing. So it just took Valve getting their shit together and polishing that first version up. And then I also think it's a conversation about the world we live in of game developers and how they treat their esports and whether they decide to silo them or whether they decide to let them run free and let the world do what they want. I don't know of any developer like Valve who has let their esport run as free with their IP. Nobody gives less of a shit what you do with their game than Valve, whether it's Dota, less so Dota now. And Counter-Strike. You want a license? You want to go do something? Fill out the paperwork. Have at it. Very easy to get a, get a license from them. They don't mm. put a lot of roadblocks up. They don't franchise, so they don't own the top of their eSport. They have no desire to own the top of their eSport. So then those teams are also not locked in to something related to the publisher, right? So that has allowed everybody and their mother to experiment, to try to be a TO in Counter-Strike. And out of that came a whole lot of production 
going at each other, so to speak, and learning from each other. Oh, this HUD works better than this. Oh, this is good. Oh, this is good for timeouts. Oh, this is good. So collectively, all these TOs from FACEIT to ESL, well, now they're the same FACEIT and ESL, but all these different TOs competing helped each other and helped all of us fans get a better product, right? Nobody competes with Riot's League of Legends product. Nobody. It's them, right? Now, if Riot let five other TOs throw LEC type events or LCS type events, would we see better League of Legends broadcasting? Would we see cooler shit if other people would experiment? I don't know, but you can't. So, Hmm. So I think the minute a TO is not allowed to experiment, and again, TOs have come and gone in our space as well. They've, you know, They've decided it's not worth going after ESL. You can't beat ESL in Counter-Strike, so fuck it. We're not going to do it, right? I mean, Face It gave up. They closed their pro league. Face Flashpoint, bunch of team owners tried, said, all right, well, we tried. Fuck it. We're out. Um, So the game itself has to have some incredible bones, right? Counter-Strike is just – it is one of our sports. It will endure. Um, I would say, say League of Legends as a MOBA will endure as long as – Riot lets it endure. I think uh, you've got some fighting games that will endure, right? That have stood the test of time. So back to the question, though. I think the issue then gets into publishers and developers and how they treat the business of their esport. So I think Counter-Strike is so goddamn popular. A, free to play now. And before that, it was dirt cheap. It's on Steam. The platform's owned by Valve, right? Um, So I think you've got a very easy-to-use platform if you want to use Valve's way, but let's say I want a little bit more competition. I want a little bit more regulation. Well, I've got several other systems that I can pay a little bit of money to and upgrade my competitive environment, right? Very few games have that as well, right? Mm -hmm. I can pay ESEA a, a service fee and go pug over there in a much better environment. Well, better being relative or I could pay face it. We have two third-party pub systems, whatever you want to call them, right? Face it does it for a couple other games now, right? So in lieu of Valve not maybe carrying the extra mile, the businesses have come in and done it for them. That's only possible because Valve lets it happen, right? Yeah. You. Where is Faceit's StarCraft II client? So, again, Activision Blizzard is their own worst nightmare. You smile, you know it, you love them, you hate them. They make some really cool games, and then they do all they can on the esports side to just fuck them all up. Until they fuck them up so much that then they go, you know what? You all can have it back. Maybe it'll work, (laughs) right? They should never have franchised Overwatch. Overwatch could be sitting right next to Counter-Strike in a totally different way. Or... It could actually be a competitor to Valorant right now if they hadn't franchised it and locked it up, right? Um, so I think these developers, publishers, put them all in the same umbrella. Sometimes they're, they're their own worst nightmare, worst case scenario for like stopping their own growth, stopping their own um, esports scene from getting creative, getting like, you want them to compete. You know, Overwatch was doing this thing where everyone was competing these weekend cups and all this crazy shit was happening. And then Activision Blizzard would stop. Nobody can use yeah. our license. We we're, we're cooking on something. Just you all just stop, <laughs> stop playing our esport for a while. 
right? And then they broke it. And they came back with a really expensive franchise model, right? Which is just dying every season a deeper, deeper death. <laughs> it, it will go away eventually. It has to. So I think, you know, lightning in a bottle, I use this a lot. Counter-Strike's lightning in a bottle. These top five, six games that we have, Rainbow Six Siege, Rocket League, we've, you know, StarCraft. That's a lightning in a bottle game. Now, what you see in your scenario is five, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to exaggerate, five other ex-Blizzard employee RTS companies are all trying to make a new <laughs> RTS, right? Frost Giant, et cetera. We'll see, you know. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know if this, gen- I don't know if the mass generation of gamers wants to, wants games that are that hard. Right, I, you know, because these games are hard. RTS, a good RTS is fucking hard, right? Um, so, yeah, I wish them all the best of luck, you know. Yeah. And a lot of them are ex-Blizzard people. So I think, I, I think when you franchise it, when you take out all the tournament organizers competing and then innovating—that's what I'm looking for. All these Counter Strike. TOs were innovating in those years that we were oversaturated. We had we had way too much Counter Strike, which did hurt us, right? But they were innovating, and then everyone would go, "Shit, they did replays better. They did the HUD better. Let's steal that, right?" Um, I liked that better than grab it, put it in one box, sell it to ten teams, and away we go, mm-hmm. right? Um, now Counter Strike is getting to a quasi franchisee. Wrong word, partner teams, ESL, um, partner teams in Blast, you know, so they get first reign at the ring, if you will. Um, but there again, there still is our majors, our Super Bowls, or a rag to riches. Anyone can qualify, and you can come all the way up. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. boy. Again, like a whole lot of things to talk about from <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, um, all over the place for, on that one. For, for, first of all, you're probably the only person so far that's been um, so openly critical of Overwatch League, which I appreciate. Really? Uh, you know, I, I interview some of the Overwatch League commentators, and obviously I want to be respectful, but I'm like, Overwatch League's questionable. Your commentary is not. It's excellent. But yeah. Overwatch League, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, agreed. I don't really get what they what they did that for, but they did. They wanted to be the leader of esports, and they failed uh, pretty pretty much. Um, yeah. And then also the franchising versus kind of like, I guess, kind of like a, the homegrown esports uh, type of thing. You know, we we had our I was talking to um, someone else and they were talking about identity issue. Like, where is esports on the identity? And it feels like we're an awkward teenager that doesn't really know what they want to do. So is it going to be like really professional suit and tie franchising? Yeah. Is it going to be back to the, you know, MLGs and IEMs and Red Bulls and everything else happening? Um, and obviously you have cases of one being good or another one being bad. Like you it's not something that's going to work out for everyone franchising or doing the other thing. But um, as someone who I guess is, I don't think Blizzard intentionally like locked down StarCraft, but they did. Um, I know for a fact that they, you know, they were hard to work with. So people dropped StarCraft. So that, that sucks, but that wasn't their intention, right? We didn't get the whole franchising that Overwatch League did. Um, But from that experience, I can say like, I wish that there was other people because to bring this back to a talent perspective for a second here, I know that you've talked about this a lot, that lack of competition, the lack of organizations. So when it comes down to one organization, you're either with them or you're, you're not doing anything at all, which, you know, recently came into play with kind of the moral quandaries, the, the Saudi Arabia shit, right? Yeah. Um, I, I, there's no other choice. Like I either accept it and, and do my work or, or move on. Um, so anyways, like all of that's just such 
interesting conversations. Um, I would say that I'm leaning much more towards the not franchise thing. I like CSGO, even Valorant right now. I like the way that's headed. I know they recently announced like their future plans, but yeah. um, you know, it just, it just, you're right. It feels so much more exciting. It feels like there's so much more to do. And that also, this is where I also really, I give a lot of thought to the idea that when you have production companies working on an esport, they, they want the esport to succeed. Right. Where Blizzard was like, it's a video game. We sold our box. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, that's also super important. And so I'm, I was happy when Blizzard gave StarCraft to ESL because I was like, I think they want us to succeed as an eSport. Blizzard yeah. didn't really care. Um, but we need we need more of that, basically. And then there's the struggle of like a riot type system where it's like, well, no, we want to control our game because we make a lot of money from our game. Our game's great advertising for skins, <laughs> which yeah, we wish you could do. Yeah, I um, think there's a um, it's a very interesting like use case scenario of those two and those two clients, right. And the two products. So riot league of legends, Activision, blizzard and overwatch. Right. So mm-hmm. both franchised in one way, shape or form, slightly different formats. Um, and I think what riot has realized with their second take at it with Valorant because if they loved what they did with League of Legends, they would mimic it. They literally would, if, if it was, if everyone liked it, team owners loved everything about it, they loved everything about it, it was the perfect system, then we would just end up with the VCS, the VEC, you know, it would be Valorant versions of that, right? Um, but they're not doing that. They're not charging teams. They're going to make them apply. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, and I, and I think they've learned a lot of lessons about going into business with team owners, right? Because they are in business with those team owners in League of Legends, right? You take a lot of money from these teams. You're beholden. They were also, the team owners have been put, and again, ex-team owner here, so I will, I'll put that hat on for a few minutes. Um, the the League of Legends team owners, obviously, are the ones that pushed Riot to franchise. The, that That's an ongoing, that was very publicly known that owners wanted that to happen because they wanted security right if you're an owner and you're spending hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars on your labor your salary of your players plus your infrastructure your coaches your facility all that shit you don't want to get relegated out of that and then all that for nothing when you're playing in fucking joe blows league and you can't even be on the stage anymore so they they like that security right riot Conversely, also likes the security of the top big brands that are associated with their product year in, year out, right? The downsides of that are, A, we don't know what it's worth. Is it worth $10 million, $5 million, $15 million, $20 million? What's a slot worth? Um, and what's the downsides of not being able to be relegated? I can just be the shittiest team in the LCS, keep taking my paycheck, here forever. Thank you. Love it. I paid you $20 million for that. Sp- well, I think they paid less. But the way it works, I'm a teen owner. I paid you three years ago for that spot. That spot just gets more and more valuable. So on my bottom line, like we talk about all these valuations, $400 million for these teams, $200 million for these teams. That spend has grown, right? That, that, has a, that, that slot has a value, and it's on that bottom line sheet. It's part of that $400 million, right? So if I can never lose it, and it keeps getting more and more valuable, and you're not going to make me spend lots of money to stay competitive, 
This is the exact same problem sports had for a while. And they had to start figuring out because, again, they do it based on markets and all this shit. Well, the New York guys got way more money. They're in New York TV money there. Well, the little Montreal guys got no money. Well, we got to figure out draft systems so the shittier teams get the better players. And you're all going to have to share your fucking revenue. Right, because New York's making all the money and Montreal makes no money, and that's not fair to Montreal. They're in a smaller French market. So New York, you gotta all that money's gotta be pooled, right? So all that kind of shit, right? Cloud nine, Gen G, not the same two team dynamics, right? So team owners love it. They love the security of it, but now fast forward to this year, right? They've all taken a shitload of VC over the last couple of years. Market is literally crapping itself right now all around the world even without this goddamn war like the market is crashing these guys going back to get vc right now would be really tough they they, their valuations would take a shot their fucking their paper would take a shot so i think the riot not charging is with conversations with the ownership and i'm going to get back to franchising in general in a second so what happens this time is riot decides look let's not charge them because then we still own our product we're not in a partnership with anybody our product you can apply we'll let you in this year and then or two years or whatever they decide they the, it might be a couple year deal but then we decide you're assholes you're not you're not keeping up your end of the bargain you're not staying competitive or you have a scandal i like riot can't get rid of tsm if they wanted to like Reggie's scandals, let's say, right? If Riot wanted to say, fuck TSM, kick him out of LCS, they couldn't do it. They couldn't do it. They could do something to, to, to Reggie. So this allows them to keep control of that product, right? Still, they don't, they don't need the money, right? Riot does not need $10 million from each of these team owners, right? They don't. They print that with one new fucking skin in one day, <laughs> right? So that, like the money for Riot, like just, they don't need the franchise fee. The team owners can't afford to pay the fee probably right now, or they have to go get more money. And so it works out perfect for Riot. They get control. They'll still get every single team owner applying that they want, uh, you know, in the sense of all the big names. will all still apply, but they keep control. Team owners don't get a slot that they control. They can sell. They can add to their valuations. And Riot isn't under that team owner like, you, we, we, we paid you. You owe us. Where's our skin? We paid you twenty million, right? Be like, welcome to our league, right? I love it. When I when I saw that they weren't going to charge, so it's kind of a neat quasi system, right? So they're still going to get the top teams. So we should still get the best Valorant, meaning the spend and all that for the right people, but they cannot be put over the barrel by any of the team ownership, right? I think they learned their lessons with League of Legends. So it's a nice hybrid system, right? And it seems like there's some sort of relegation, at least in the sense that since you're not in there forever, if you're not playing well, we're not going to keep inviting you back, right? I love that, right? And it seems like there's a path that the little team that could might still have a shot. Like right now, why would I ever decide, hey, Jason, let's start a League of Legends team. Let's go get some money. Let's start a League of Legends team because we'll then... Get to the LCS. Impossible. The only way to get the LCS is to buy a spot, right? But Valorant Riots left that open for entrepreneurial ownership. 
that's huge, right? It exists in Counter-Strike. It exists, it exists in Valorant. Maybe to a lesser extent, because you still got to get some money if you're going to go after salaries and players and facilities and all that. So I like the Valorant team model. So back to franchising in general. I think we were so damn excited to be just like sports that we thought we had to be like North American sports. And franchising would be the, we made it, we made it. We're just like the NFL. And we'll, you know what? We'll even go after NFL owners and we'll get their money. We'll get NBA money. We'll be just like sports. We'll get sports money. I thought it was a bad idea. Uh, now, League of Legends, less bad because it's not, it's not, it's regional based on North America, Europe, Asia. It's not, I bought an LA spot. I got to play in LA. Like, and obviously, even Overwatch League has drastically shifted. But when they announced that not only are they going to charge $20 million for a spot, but we're going to make all the teams and home and away games, and you'll have to have an arena or a theater or somewhere where you can throw your home state. And then it went to home stands, and we'll do less of those. And now it's like, fuck it. We'll just travel around and do it like every other fucking esport on the planet. Right. I kind of like, in that sense, I like Riot because they have a nice studio. LCS has an audience. There's something to be said for broadcast quality when you show up to work in the same building every day. You're not plugging shit in every weekend and fuck, did you test that in code? You know, so I like that. And when we get back to normal and the audience is there again and the and the players are there, those are nice studio slash fan events, right? Good mm-hmm. size. Um, so I, I, I think Riot, you know, a lot of issues with both these companies on corporate structure and sexual, you know, allegations and like they're <laughs> fucked up white dude companies. Right. But of the two esports, man, Valor and now and like Activision Blizzard must just be fucking hating that Valor didn't <laughs> exist. It literally took their game. Like it is a better version of their game yeah, right? or yeah. a more popular version. Better is very subjective. You know, a lot of people sure. like Overwatch so will always like Overwatch, but like, I don't know, Valorantine has a little bit more counter-strikiness to it with the objective to me. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. like Counter-Strike with Overwatch heroes, I guess, in a yes, weird way, yes. and not play payloads to push anymore. Um, but it's also the number one game dev on the planet pushing off of the number one game on the planet, right? Riot yeah, has yeah. League of Legends and that, always going for it. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I wish Activision, you know, I wish Activision Blizzard would never have done it for one, and they wouldn't have done it the way they did it. Too expensive, too too sports like, you know, going to sell you a regional part of LA, going to sell you a regional part of Texas, right? I remember a couple years ago that Lon- London Spitfire, Cloud9's Overwatch mm-hmm. team, all Koreans, when Susie was working for them, all of them in Korea. Susie was not allowed to do any sort of promotional event in Seoul because that slot belonged to Seoul and not the London Spitfire. How dare you, London Spitfire, do a fan ter- event in Seoul, right? Even though all your players are there, right? Just weird, draconian, ass backwards. Well, they paid all this money, so now we got to protect them. Like, like you're franchising a subway, right? And I, since I franchise subway, you can't put another subway sandwich shop within five miles of me, or, you know? So, it, I, I, again, I just think, 
I think we're now going to see a better hybrid model. The Louvre agreement, which is ESL's agreement with the Counter-Strike teams to play in Pro League and all of that and the Louvre events of Counter-Strike is a is a quasi-partnership agreement. That kind of shit makes more sense to me. Team owners mm-hmm. need some sort of security and they need some sort of rev back to them or the, why the hell are they doing this kind of thing, right? So I like yeah. these partnerships and these agreements that make the team owners feel more stable in the eSport where they're spending millions of dollars and the TOs a little bit more stable in who shows up to their events. But I always felt that there needs to be an open, you you know, like yeah. we, we talk about Premier League and, and soccer and the, the football leagues in Europe, right? They have relegation. They very rarely get relegated for um, skill. They often, well, not often, but they'll get relegated to be penalized for fucking something up. Like like Juventus and all those European teams years ago, they got they all got busted for match fixing. Uh, the, the Italian soccer league. And what, what did they do? They just relegated them. Like, well, you just lost your Premier League status. That was their punishment. You just, you are no longer a tier one soccer team. Because you were idiots. Not because you weren't good, because you were breaking the fucking law, right? Um, so they don't rarely get they rarely get relegated for skills, but it's possible. And like there's that there's a documentary about like this little English soccer team that was like one game away from losing and if they lost, they even got dropped out of whatever little town league they were in. And it was like, if we don't win this, we lose a hundred years of history of this little league we were in. And they they won. I can't remember the name. But that kind of shit, those kind of storylines never happen in the NFL, never happen in the NBA. You know, I mean, could you imagine if the worst NBA team lost their fucking slot? Like that would be insane. Okay, you got three years. If you keep if you're if you're terrible three years in a row, you're out of the NBA. <clears throat> You're out of the fucking NBA. So I like the hybrid model because I understand as a business guy that the people spending the money, TOs and team owners, both need a little bit of partnership love that keeps them together. I get that, right? Mm -hmm. I get that. Um, But the full on, here's a bunch of money. I buy a slot. I think those days are already over. (laughs) I think think those lessons have been learned the hard way. Um, (laughs) Really hard by uh, Overwatch owners. (laughs) I can't imagine anyone's like biting the bait now, right? No, like anyone who no. has millions of dollars. Is gonna and be maybe like, that's yeah, even gonna... part of like, I haven't talked to Riot, but maybe that's even part of it. Maybe Riot wanted to charge and all the owners went, don't fucking ask me for any more money. <laughs> yeah. You know. uh, and, it, you know, I, we have talked a lot about teams because there's perspective, of course, that you're going to, you know, have yeah. um, great knowledge about. Um, but, it, you know, for me, it's like even thinking about, there's a lot of talent discussion around kind of these these things as well. Where, you know, initially the idea of um, not franchising, but rather uh, the the game company, the publisher, stepping in meant that there was something that was going to be like league-like. Yep. There was going to be consistent work, consistent gigs, consistent um, tournaments for the players, of course, as well. And that that idea was very tantalizing. That was an awesome sure. idea when it first happened. And then, if, you know, if they eventually got disinterested in their own video game, we'd worry about it a decade later, which is where we're at. Um, but it, uh, it was this great idea. But then you have some of these arguments against the way that like Riot, for instance, handles their broadcasters specifically that, I, yeah, I know that uh, has been talked about, but it's been fascinating to hear about these like behind the scenes kind of viewpoints on it because you can hear about the talent being like, oh, well, you know, it's, it's 
an okay gig. Like I, I like doing it. And then you get like Uber shouts every yeah. so often, just like ranting about how like messed up it is and how stupid it is. Um, and otherwise, like there's not much of an argument. Um, but anyways, um, I had a point and I kind of lost it just in the description there. Uh, but uh, the the idea that there's there's two different options. There's like the standard league, the the thing that you can go to reliably, and then all these awesome little side projects. I think that's what esport always kind of was to me. Was that like for me the main thing was actually MLG, I guess, before yeah. WCS took over, and then everything else like these really awesome tournaments that would also be happening, and that was so. That was so cool. But of course, uh, we know that at that time, there was no contracts for talent. <laughs> there was no guarantee you were going to get the next gig, uh, which obviously hurt. Uh, oh, so I wanted to go into the money thing, which I said I was going to do, but I had a lot of conversations between. So whether, however they get the money, right? They're a popular esport. They get you know franchising money. They get um, just money because they're actually a successful production company, whatever. Um, you mentioned that shocks will go up and tell people like, you know, give me this thing for the storytelling segment. Give me this, give me that. And I couldn't help but think like, well, how does the money come in to even start to do that? Because I literally was thinking, well, if in StarCraft, I went up to the DreamHack producer and said, hey, could you get me this graphic? She's excellent. She would try. Yeah. Yeah. But there's, you know, she's like the only person doing like five, six different jobs. Um, so I guess kind of what I wanted to, to, to rebuck to is like in the case of not having that much money, what are your options? And then from your experience, what options opened up when CSGO started to explode? Because it's kind of where it all came from, right? But CSGO initially, maybe not that great, popular on the on the player side, but maybe esports wise, no one was really talking about it. I think the, our conversation was StarCraft II versus League of Legends back in like 2011, 2012. Then gets all this money. Um, did that change the storytelling, the production, the casters, the talent, uh, or... I guess, was it already kind of good, basically, even without all that money? So I guess kind of what I'm asking is how much of this money important, how much is money important to the production side of things? Outside of the obvious, like, I need cameras, I need um, people on, on the work. Do you see an increase in talent, an increase in skill when you have the appropriate funds? Do you think that that allows the creativity or does it restrict it? I mean, it... it uh, in theory, it should allow it and should enhance it. Um, I've seen lots of money spent poorly over my decades in <laughs> esports um, that you're always like, why did you do that when you could have done X, Y, and Z with that? You know, mm -hmm. um, I think uh, I think what happened for Global Offensive is, you know, when it dropped back into the, our, our world, we were post-Twitch, post-live streaming for free, all these things that StarCraft and MLG, that was the cusp of that, right? We were riding this wave of, you know, uh, like the 1.6 events, events we were doing at, uh, at GotFrag and even early MLGs, you know, we were pushing to Octoshape and we were, you know, having to do all these weird bit rating codes and push to Brightcove and all these weird <laughs> bandwidth places you stream. So literally, by the time Counter-Strike Global Offensive drops the world of live streaming is, is fucking caught up, right? Um, and everything's much easier than what it was before, right? Um, we already we already had a good game. We had already had one of the best spectator tools on the planet that showed right back up. So a lot of things were already in our favor, and the world of broadcasting had caught had, had, had shown up 
in in the meantime and again mlg the starcrafts the league of legends that kind of stuff um ipl etc that little that little window of two years where it was just blowing the fuck up just in tv before it was even twitch so i think in that regard um we, we just you know right place right time we if we would have dropped if Global Offensive drops when StarCraft 2 drops. A little before all that, maybe it stays a dud. Maybe it doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. get picked up. Because I think, obviously, once all the TOs grabbed it and we started putting it back out there, it's like, oh, shit, this game is good, right? And then teams start picking up rosters and, you know, the whole nine yards. I think what also kind of happens is we, we you know, it all booms, right? So it was all blowing up there. So it was like, oh my God, the game is back. Another great game we love. And Dota 2 is rocking. And so Valve's great. You know, so maybe there's a little nostalgia play there for a little while. Um, and I think, I, I do think that since Counter-Strike immediately got grabbed by a lot of TOs, you started to see a lot of experimentation, a lot of innovation. Um, hmm. uh, whereas some of those other games had settled into maybe one or two TOs only and, like ESL was going to rule the day on that. And, you know, what happens anytime a new game drops, every TO that wants to be a TO tries it. And then you figure out who's going to run it, right? Nerd Street, running a whole lot of Valorant, right? They wouldn't dare try to run Counter-Strike these days. Why, right? Another game drops, someone grabs it. Let's see if we, because you want to be that go-to TO, right? And if you can grab it and be the TO, you're in there. Um, I think when it comes to your question about like getting things done, I, I think a lot of it was you, you didn't get things done. You know, you just, you, you had your, okay, we got our graphics. Here's our bracket. Here's our groups. Here's our seating. Here's our prize purse. You know, your five standard pre-show graphics in the can. That's what you get. And anything new and exciting is going to come out of our mouse. Right? right. Like my biggest job back then was to figure out, you know, I, I, a host's main job is to make your experts seem like fucking experts, right? Do their job well, right? So in my briefings, I would always sit down. And, and again, I I don't know if a lot of people do this because I, I, would, I would always get like, shit, no one's ever asked me this, Scott. No one's ever done this with me. I'm like, how the fuck can you host the desk and not ask these things? So I'd sit with my analysts and go, you, what do you what, – this match coming up, what do you want to make sure – you know, you find out from them what they want to tell the audience about the matchup, and then you phrase your questions to look like softball no-brainers, right? So they're not, like, stumbling to get that info out. Hey, we talked before about this thing. Softball, right to you. Oh, yeah, we did. Here, let me lay that all out for you. You know, and then I would come up with those. So I'd make sure, because there's nothing worse if you're an analyst and you didn't get your fucking points out and the segment's over and you're like, what the fuck am I even doing here? Right. Mm. My job is to make sure you get your points out, not to talk bullshit, not to be the center of it all. Right. So I'd always get notes. Okay. He, I'm going to ask him this. I'm going to ask him this. And then we'd always in our little bullpen green room, come up with like 10 things that if shit at the fan and we had to fill were on our list. They weren't related to that match. They weren't related to that day. They were counter-strike things. You know, new gun dropped, new map, new this, new that. They were in my pocket for a rainy day. So in my ear, if someone went, Phil, and, you know, and I was done talking about the match. Hey, you know, did you guys see that article yesterday about uh, the, you know, and again, fill topics, a list of fill topics, right? Um, yeah. Get you through a rainy day. Um, and, and again, I think, I think 
I think where in general, and maybe less now, maybe less now with the studio shows and the teleprompted, I would have said that like an esports talented person would could do anything because we never had teleprompters. We never had scripts. We had notes and fucking bullet points, right? And then you would just go, right? You take a TV person and put them at a desk and say, just go for it. They'll be like, are you going to turn that on? Turn what on? The, the teleprompter. I, I go when that scrolls for me to go. Hi, welcome to the show. I'm your host, Sir Scoots. We've got a, you know, like they're used to reading, Right. And then the like a little bit of riff here and there. But it, like sports television is very scripted TV, yeah. in general news. You know, now, obviously, you know, inside the NBA shows like that, those guys are riffing until the cows come on. But they got a little bit of scripting around it anyway. Uh, so I, I think we're very well trained to be on, on fire. Right. And if you can be on fire and do a good broadcast, boy, then when everything's going well, it's it's like yeah, it's, it's easy days. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess like kind of like a better way to to phrase that question was, um, and you already got into it, but I was kind of thinking like, you know, if Shocks didn't have the big budget that she does, you know, would she still have this like, um, what's what I'm looking for? Not notoriety, uh, fame for being such a good, uh, good host. And yeah, I mean, credit where credits due. Shocks obviously is an amazing on air talent. She speaks yeah. well. She she checks all the boxes for what she needs to do. She works an incredibly buttoned up production right that lots of people lots of money she's not working a grassroots flying by the seat of their pants duct taping shit you know <laughs> but beyond the summit production she's working for fucking riot marketing budget money right um yeah. and now even that product has changed a lot over the years Right. She went from full time to freelance. Uh, the, I'm sure internally behind the scenes, a lot of the staff that does production maybe even went from full time to freelance. So it might have even got more challenging for her in the last couple of years. Obviously, uh, COVID notwithstanding. But, yeah, it is easy to um, to know that you've got, you know, you're armed with producers that all you got to do is say, I need A, B and C. And they go. Got it. Be ready yeah. for you in two hours, right? And and I'm sure she doesn't always get that, even even at, at, at LEC. Um, but that being said, the next step is if you can't get it produced, just produce it with your mouth. Mm-hmm. Get get you and your crew to get that info out. Tell that story without the graphics if you can, you know. Um, but I spent decades in green rooms of people that couldn't be asked to do anything besides the bare minimum of sit down and put the headset on, which was incredible. The literally the opposite of shocks, right? Shocks yeah. is waking up in the middle of the night going, Oh fuck. I got to tell my producer to make this for me. I got people that barely show up. Right. Um, not all talent, not all, on air, not all on air talent are created equal. They all want to be paid equally though, because they think market <laughs> rate means that they should just get that because they're in front of a camera. Right. Interesting. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, you, you yeah. <laughs> Some of I them mean, are woefully overpaid for what they yeah, do. Yeah, woefully yeah. Woefully overpaid. It's a whole discussion right there. Um, 
be at the, I was again thinking in my own cause. It's like, I feel like I, it is better for me to very kindly and like graciously be like, you know, oh, you can't do that. That's, you know, that's fine. Like, I just thought it'd be a good idea. Yep. Um, Cause I think that is going to elevate you in, in people's minds, no matter what. You, you handled defeat gracefully, first of all, but then you also were willing to contribute in a way outside of, of just casting. I know Shocks has talked about that on, on her Twitter, yeah. um, about how important it is to make yourself, you know, essential in a different way than just being the on person. Yeah. Cause uh, she's basically Canada becoming a, a segment producer in her own right, right? Which mm-hmm. adds to, her if she ever decides to step behind the cameras or you know do something else in production she's checked off 20 different boxes and just right. hi i'm shocks well welcome to the show you know like she yeah so yeah. part of that and so i would say to any talent do that shit get involved in that shit so you learn so in five years when you say you know what i'm done being on air i want to be a producer well you've you you You've done some of it. You've you've tread some of that water, right? Or directing, or whatever it happens to be. But again, like, and maybe I'm jaded after all these years. But I just so many talent would show up and just like fucking. And even some of those MLG StarCraft days, it's like you all should be so goddamn excited, especially the MLG days, that you're getting paid to talk about StarCraft, but you're literally yelling at me about where the Red Bull is. You understand what a <laughs> cock head diva you are right now like because this isn't now this is ben right back then like how dare you diva like holy <laughs> shit you know like ah. yeah you know actually it's funny i um so i came in 2017 this was like after like rehearsals took 12 hours this was after i guess like a lot more you know the budget problems like you know being paid 600 dollars still mm-hmm. um so i came in at a good moment basically um but i do know that when we first met a producer for DreamHack of, of these these past few years, she she had told us, yeah, I heard StarCraft has like a, you know, a lot of drama queens. Like that's a rumor about StarCraft. And I was like, really? That's so interesting. Because <laughs> to me, it's like now it's it's the opposite. Like we show up, we were very chill. I yeah. think so. I mean, we barely, we had talent managers during the COVID year that we were at the studio in Sweden that literally told us we didn't ask her enough. So I think we're okay now. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> but yeah. apparently this is something that has been passed down amongst generations of producers, uh, which isn't great, but hopefully that's, uh, that changes. Um, anyways, like, uh, <laughs> I want to well, ask so many more questions. And if you, and, you know, rest in peace, Jeff, in control, Robinson. If you, if you think of that crew <laughs> of those guys, right, before Apollo was with ESL and Apollo was on air, like think of those six, eight guys that traveled the world and did all the ESL events and all the DreamHack events. Those guys in a green room together, I bet were a fucking delightful handful. Right? You know what I mean? Good and bad. Right? Yes, yeah. Uh, I, I know exactly bad. what you mean. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, in control. Great guy. Super funny guy. Really, he, so, he was such a good guy. I want to preface this, right? But he had that comedy that if you didn't know him, he would come off as a dick. So oh, yeah. like very yeah. infamous example is yep. we were at a Challenger and some guy is trying to meet the talent because he's new. And he's like, he sees them walk off the stage and he's like, hey, are you talent? And Jeff looks up and goes, no. And then just like walks on. <laughs> no. Yeah. And this yeah. made the guy Poor really guy's angry. Like, apparently. Just shook, you know? It's like, wait, wait. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So a handful in, a, in good and bad ways. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Boy. Um, I, I'd love to like brand, like jump off of that point to talk more, but I, I gotta wrap this up and I have two Patreon questions. So, okay. oh boy, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna go to Patreon questions. Um, all right. 
big, big shift here. Uh, from Ranish, uh, I don't know if this is something you've talked about before, but uh, this is also Axlav, so I don't know if you know. I know <laughs> Axlav. He played for me. Uh, he asked, he lived out here what's... Oh, anyway. uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Uh, what's EG the best there. way to cook bacon? The best way to cook bacon? Um, okay, so I have an old answer and a new answer. New answer is air fryer does a really good job with bacon. Air fryer is all the rage, right? So I've been air frying my bacon. But I used to do this thing called the bacon explosion, which is this pork wrapped thing. It's pork and sausage, and it's all wrapped up in like a Yule log. And it ends up being wrapped in a bacon weave. So it's crisscrossed bacon strips in a square (laughs) weave pattern that you wrap in this thing. And then once you cook it, that literally, and there's bacon inside it, that argue, not even arguably, that is the best way to eat bacon, is that device. Bacon explosion. That's Google a very bacon explosion. Okay, yeah, there bacon you go. Explosion. Google bacon explosion. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. It'll kill you. It'll kill you, but it's the best way. Gotcha. He might even have had a bacon explosion out here. Maybe that's why he's asking. Did, <laughs> did he know this was a question to me? Yes. Or just did. a question? Question to you. He might. Yeah, he might be asking because of the bacon explosions. Because I did a few yeah. of those. Maybe. You smoke it. Oh, it's so good, Jess. Oh. <laughs> All right. And the second question from Barrett. Uh, what are the things you miss about doing on production while you're on camera? And the things you miss about being on camera while doing production? Oh, boy. Um, I, I'd say on camera, um, I'm kind of a control freak, right? I think a lot of people that are in, in, in broadcast management definitely have a little bit of that, right? You have to be a little bit of controlling keep an eye on shit so when i'm just on air like when we were doing the breakdown or any other show i always am like oh wait oh like you can never turn off your production brain right i'm watching sports i watch you know a basketball game i watch anything and i'll be like oh they fucked that graphic like, you just can't turn it off so if i'm on air i'm always thinking about what is happening in the control room right and if i'm in the control room i'm always like Oh, why didn't he say, oh, just say this. Oh, hurry up. Oh, what do you do? (laughs) You know, uh, get to your point or whatever. So it's always like coaching the other side of it or second guessing what I would be doing if I was in that other role. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, Actually, another greedy question here. Do you ever give help to the talent or the talent has ever asked you for help? Uh, I, I absolutely. I mean, I, I. I'm not one to just volunteer shit because people hate that, you know. Hey, by the way, unless it's someone I know, like there's, I'm definitely friends with a lot of talent, and so Rachel or Kelly or a bunch of people that I do know, DJ Weed, although he doesn't, he's not talent as much anymore and doesn't need to be critiqued. But like, if I see Rachel or Kelly and they're on a show and I notice something, I'll message them. Hey, by the way, you were doing this fucking thing with your hands again, you know. put them on your, your belly, you know, just friend, friendly things, right? Because they're friends of mine. But I, if it's someone who I'm just working with or uh, an acquaintance, they'll have to ask me because it would be maybe rude of me to be like, hey, by the way, you kind of, but I love to give it. Like if someone were to ask me, you know, and over the years, Counter-Strike casters have asked me, desk, mm-hmm. you know, commentators, hosts, hey, Scott, what do you think? And I'll be like, send me some shit. Let me look at some shit. And I, I, I have no problem giving honest, brutal feedback. The problem is people don't want to hear it. And very few people, people don't want to really hear it is what I'll say. Because they do ask for it. Um, and very few actually truly ask for real feedback. Um, and yeah. they should. Everyone should. And then, because the one v- advice I give to everyone, and then once I give it, 
they've come back to me almost invariably and go, holy fuck, thank you. Watch your own content mm. mercilessly. Like, be your biggest, like, be your worst critic. No one wants to do it. Nobody does it. Very, very few talent watch themselves. At, yeah, I did all right. Oh, they said I did all right. Okay, next week, on to the next show. Go yeah. watch your shows. You will, you will be astounded at how bad you think you are, but you're not, right? Um, and what it'll, what it'll let you do if you're, again, if you're critical of it, is you'll see all the things that are wrong that people won't tell you, or maybe they don't even notice. Like I see my own ticks. I say and again. That's my tick. I don't say um. I don't say you know. I don't hem and haw. That is my filler. Is and again. Not so much in this kind of conversation, but when I'm on air, that is my, and again, the point I was trying, and again, and like at one point during the breakdown, they almost got a fucking ticker going and, and again, ticker <laughs> for me. Um, so yeah, like watch your stuff and take notes and ask other people ask again, I, Jason sitting right next to me, my partner in crime. I bet he could count on. And this guy worked for Turner. He worked in lots more control rooms than me. I would say maybe five talent that he's ever known have ever asked him for feedback. Hey, Jason, how did I do? And not not like, hey, how was it? But like, Jason, can you give me notes? Like, that doesn't happen. People will be like, how was the show? Oh, it's good. Yeah. Good show. Good show. Big cheers all around. But very few because pe- people don't like to be critiqued. We say we want it. I want, no, I want to hear it. But man, <laughs> you start hearing it. You're like, then you start getting defensive and you're like, oh, I don't want to hear this after all. And then you, then you don't ask anymore. But like I, when people ask me, that's the very first thing I tell them, go home right now and watch the cast you just did today. I know you're in a foreign country and we all just got tired. Instead of going and drinking in the bar with all of us till two in the morning, and then all being tired tomorrow because we just started the fucking show. We have four more days of this shit. You're going to be dead by Sunday because you're going to do this every night. And they do it every night. Go home. Watch the cast. Go watch it. Go watch yeah. it. And take notes. And you'll quickly see, oh, shit, I say this a lot. Oh, I fucked that intro up. And, uh, you know, I used to hate it because I am not on air. Like, I'm not – I don't aspire to be. I don't – if you called me right now and said, Scott, we'd like you to be on-air talent, I would try to talk you out of it. And say, why do you want me? You know, um, <laughs> but even I would do it. I would go watch these breakdown shows and be like, oh, "Fuck, I keep fucking the intro up." God, I stumbled. But that's how you—you you might not magically get better, but if you don't realize their mistakes, you're never gonna fix them, right? Yeah. So ask, ask for real feedback, and literally take it. Yes. Yeah. I think the, the last person you didn't get around to explaining was the person who was very serious and asking for it and then never implements it. <laughs> so yeah. I've and that's the third like one. That. Yeah. And I've had a few of those where like, I told you, like, this is like the fifth time telling you, you obviously don't give a shit. You're asking right. me for advice just to have a conversation with me. Cause you don't give a shit, you know, yeah, and then you just yeah. stop, you just stop talking. You just don't help those people anymore, you know? Um, but I think in general, just content creators, you know, an artist makes their thing. And they can see it. It's right there as they make it. We we throw it out, and then it's gone. Go back and yeah, listen yeah. to that cast, and uh, and do it a lot. Don't just do it once. Do it continually. Listen to your shit, mm-hmm. and watch your shit. And actually, I think like the more secure you are, not just like emotionally as a person, 
but honestly, the more experienced you are, I, I think actually the more you know you're going to have future attempts to fix it was a big thing for me because like, you know, we used to be like one every year, <laughs> you know, good luck next year remembering yeah. what you did wrong. Um, anyways, um, is that, you know, it actually gets to be kind of actually kind of relief, like a relief. Uh, Pig, another StarCraft 2 commentator, said that he does it every night and I was like, right after, that's insane. Like, I would hate it. Yep. But I did it once when I had like humongous doubts as to how I performed. People were like, you did great, like whatever, whatever. And I was like, no, I think I fucking sucked. And I watched it and that was one of those eye-opening things where I was like, oh, okay, like I did mess up, but because I watched it, I actually feel kind of okay about it, you know? That's okay like, too. That's the yeah, other side of this, yeah. right? Like if you're if you're overly harsh on yourself and you you again, at the end of the show, it's always a good show. Like I have rarely, unless it's been a dumpster fire, everyone is always like, Yeah, good show. Oh yeah, a couple things to work on, but it's all like generally it's yeah. You know, it's a long day. No one's looking to be like, oh, that was the worst fucking day. You terror. Like, no one is shitting on anyone at the end of that day, right? You know, so I think if you can have a bad day or perceive that, oh, God, that was a terrible last couple hours. Fuck, let me go watch that. You know, and you're, you're, you're crawling inside your brain in a negative way. And then you go watch again with a very open mind. And you're like, oh, oh, fuck. Okay. That wasn't so bad. I, I, I played it off <laughs> way worse in my brain. That's good too, because if you don't do that, then the next day you go into that show with a wrong mindset about what you did yesterday or didn't do yesterday because you've spun yourself the wrong yeah. way. You know, you, sp- you, you, you don't want to spin yourself up that your shit don't stink, and you don't want to shit your, spin yourself up that you're terrible, right? There's a medium ground in there always, right? So yeah. I think even if you want to like double check that, it wasn't as bad as you thought. The downside of that is you watch it and go, oh, fuck. Okay. Was that was actually worse. <laughs> that was actually worse. But you still got to watch it. So you should still watch it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Even if I did that, though, like, I mean, I, I definitely have not done it as often. I think it's the, the fastest way to improve, for yep. sure. 100% yep. agree. But I also have problems with it. And I, I'm it's hard. very no much working on it. No one likes to hear it. their own voice. No one likes to see yes, themselves. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, um, you know, it, I, again, I give that advice, but it wasn't like I watched myself every night after I hosted you know, I, I think I got pretty good at just knowing where, where, you know, I think after you do this for several years, you, you, you have a pretty good workflow of how you prep for an event. Um, and, you know, if, you know, you, you, what are your weak links? You know, if I didn't prep, that's my weak link. If I'm a bullshitter and I never prep, well, I don't have to worry about my prep, right? <laughs> but then if I never prep, that's going to bite me in the ass somewhere along the way. Cause I didn't prep. Right. right. So right. it's just figuring out your workflow, sticking to it. Everyone's got like, you know, your own superstitious way you prepare. I think as we do it more, we get less nervous that we're on camera and it's just getting the job done. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other thing when like just nerves of uh, the arena is a whole other arena, you know, yeah. people in front of you and that, that kind of thing. Um, and understanding that, like that will affect you and it's okay that you, you're okay. Well, I got a little nervous and I stumbled over my words cause I had never seen 10,000 people in front of me before. Don't do that every time, but this one time you're okay with that. You know, right, yeah. you, you, I, be a harsh critic. Don't kill yourself. Right. Like don't <laughs> yeah, you, you yeah. Know, take it to heart, improve on it. And you can't fix what you can't fix either. If you're watching and all of a sudden the graphics are wrong and you're trying to scramble, well, the graphics are wrong because the guy brought you the wrong graphic, you know. So that 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 graphics wrong is not your fault. How you have, how you 
dealt with that mistake in production says a lot about, you know, how you mm-hmm. flew, flew, went with the flow of it, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think after a certain number of years, you also kind of, you know what your product kind of is, yep. a yep. weird way of putting it, but you know what it is, you know what you can improve on, but you also know, like, you know, feedback I get is that I'm too womanly, like I have a feminine voice and it's like, well, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, what do we do about yeah. that? Dude, you're bald. Uh, <laughs> yep. Yeah, you hired yeah, me. I, I was bald when you hired me. You know, like yeah, I'm totally yeah. with you on that. Um, there, but and that that's yeah. and what what one TO will hire you for, and they think it's a great gift you have. Another TO might be like, hey, can 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 you tone yeah, that yeah. down a little bit? It's like, well, okay. <laughs> Who am I working for this week? Freelancing. Yeah. Yes, yeah, freelance life for sure. Although I, I guess that is the weird blessing about having the the single entity that we yep. have in StarCraft. And, you know, yeah. again, we don't have a lot of competition. We can't really argue our rates, but we are very comfortable with the people we work with and we yep. know what they want. We know they know what we want. Like it works out well, right? Um, so anyways, there's a lot of information packed into uh, what is almost an hour and a half uh, and a lot of it, you know, behind the scenes stuff, which I still think is excellent to include. Um, I don't think that anyone who's involved on on camera should be totally oblivious to all the things that are happening behind, right? We got to consider the players. We got to consider the teams. Something yeah. StarCraft has done very poorly of actually uh, been heavily criticized for is that we didn't really highlight the teams um, and just anything that you were talking about. So again, thank you for coming on and sharing your wisdom and experience. Like, uh, it's just it's really awesome to get some of the OGs here, you know, and that you're still in esports as well. You haven't just gone away and I don't know where you are. <laughs> I got nowhere else to go. No, <laughs> no, I love it here. No, I mean, you're welcome. And, and again, I think it, it, uh, on air talent, it behooves you to learn the entire ecosystem the best you can. Don't be a diva. You know, um, I, some of my early training in Counter-Strike Global Offensive was training all those guys and gals that ended up, kind of running all those shows like look like you all show like because again if you put your blinders on as talent you, you you leave the hotel you hop in a shuttle you go to your green room you wait you get your makeup done you stand at your desk you do your thing you go back to the green room you wait you go back to the desk but like there's so much that goes into that piece of that you're part of and i think oftentimes talent because that's the general term we use, and we didn't come up with it. It is a broadcast term um, that's been used for decades. Esport talent isn't a thing, but I think sometimes <laughs> ego comes into play, and people do forget why they're why they're in the building is not for them. Like you're here to tell that story about them. Without them, none of us have a job. So let's all check our egos. You know, on air, off air. And remember, we're here because the players are really good at this fucking thing they do, right? Um, and and one of the things I, I thankfully was able to train the early Counter-Strike guys in, the those production guys is like, look, because they all started out kind of divish. Like, where's my Red Bull? Where's my monster? Where's this? Oh, the food sucks. Oh, this, oh, that. And I, 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 yeah, I like, there's a quote of me yelling at Richard at one point at, I'm like, if you don't like it, get the fuck out of my industry. And what I was explaining <laughs> to them, was like, look, you guys show up at 8 a.m., but the people behind the curtain have been here for four hours already, preparing to turn the cameras on for you. Then, after we're all done, and we've had our makeup, and we've had our catering, and we've had our beautiful little world, we can watch this, they'll be here two to three hours later than you, prepping for tomorrow, 
Then they're going to do it again. Then they're going to do it again. Then they're going to do it again. So for your 10-hour day that you're mad about, those are 16 to 18-hour days for them. They get paid less, and no one even knows who the fuck they are. Everyone knows who you are. You make money on your name. Like, you all just need to understand that you're angst and, like, it's one team that's doing this show. You And it, that team is not you. That mm-hmm. team is all of them, and you're part of that team. So don't be an asshole to the production people. Don't be an asshole to catering. Don't be an asshole to makeup. Because, again, they get paid way less. They work way harder, and they get no shine on what they do. You guys get all the fucking shine and the players, right? Because obviously the players are playing. You know, and it took them a while. And then Richard went to work at Turner. Right. And then really got to see what it's really like behind the curtain of a broadcast company. And now I would say Richard Lewis is probably one of the strongest production defenders of the 200 people behind him than what he used to be. Mm. Right. Um, And that's everyone needs to understand we're just a piece of the puzzle. And just because you're the one that is on camera. It, it is it it is not even the second most important job because if the director doesn't take that camera, you're not on camera, right? <laughs> Players, production, then you, right? Um, and again, I think some get it, some still don't, but so be it, right? Same thing, same with TV. Yeah. Some are you know, there's DV TV people, there's T diva sports people, so be it. But understand and educate yourself on this big machine that is making you look really fucking good. Yeah, you know. And- to be honest, the more that you know about all these moving parts, the better you look as kind of like a human. Yeah, that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh God, uh, it's it's way it's better actually humans. really easy. We you definitely know, need I, more better humans in our space. Well, there's that, but like kind of kind of was like a 12, 14 hour type situation. Yeah, and it was it would have been very easy just to be like wham me me me, which we didn't do so much of. I'm I'm happy to say. But it, you know, it made it easier. It made us also like it was a better point, and it made us look like really good people. Was we were like the production guys are literally here twenty two hours. You yeah. guys are insane. Like what the fuck are you doing? Yep. Like that was such an easier point. That was such a more extreme, easy. Like yeah, I also like really hate this. But look at those those guys yeah. also are like fucking like, hating life right now. They're always here before and after. So it yeah. is is as fucked up as the talent day might have been. <laughs> if it it's was so bad for talent, it was so much worse for production because <laughs> if there were tech issues, if it was breaking, shit wasn't breaking on you. It was breaking all around you. Right, your yeah. job was to fill. Um, yeah, and I, I, I remember like Red Eye uh, when he was around years ago. We went around and around at one of the events. I think it was Krakow or one of the events he was hosting. I was interviewing or something, and he tweeted that this is like again very diva thing. Like this is crazy. Oh, we need more. We need more talent. A show like this needs two hosts. This is too many hours. This is after I had worked six of them. Right then he started hosting. Right and again. I was still just a pig in shit that someone was paying me money to talk about Counter-Strike and I could have a bird's eye view. Like I was not in agreement that PGL or anybody else needed to pay two red eyes to be in the fucking building. <laughs> right. I'm like, that's divish. That is fucking de- like, dude, you sit here and this is not against red eye or Paul in general, but this mentality that it, a long day necessarily requires two bodies or I can't do my job. Well, then then get the fuck out of the way. Because <laughs> if your job is to sit for an hour, watch a match, stand up, then for 10 minutes, look good, talk about it, go away for a couple, like if you have to, like 
it ain't that fuck. You're not curing cancer here, man. Like, <laughs> so like you don't like these companies are already losing money and you want a bigger budget for talent. No. Right. And obviously we do, we do get some hosts that have like this PGL event has two hosts. Shox mm-hmm. is working it. Frey is working it. Um, there is maybe a time and a place for that. Um, you know, if your budget can handle it, so be it. Um, I, I still, we're in a world where we're not generating profit yet. We're just generating some revenue on what we do. So until we're profitable, like yeah. that's extra spend to me, right? Uh, more hosts and more on air. Uh, are you telling me that, are you delivering the stories good already? You know, I'm sorry it was a longer day for you, but it was a little diva-ish, right? And we even jumped on him. Uh, like, what are you talking about? Anyway. Long rant yeah. on that. You, you know, again, when there's no revenue, you know, or not enough profit in the system, let's not spend money there yet. Let's get profitable sure. first. So we have careers forever, not <laughs> just until the bubble bursts and the VC goes away. Yeah, right? there you go. Right. And I think a lot of it would also come down to like how you approach negative things, right? Like totally. you're going to drag everyone down. You're going to be, you know, if you're going to be an asshole, it doesn't matter if you're right. You're still an asshole kind of the difference there and then you know only after you've tried 10 times to get this company to pay you six thousand dollars because they refuse to pay you is that that's when you're like hey guys like on twitter maybe oh yeah oh for sure but you wait so long yep yeah i mean there's so much grumbling behind the scene you know well and that's i mean that's i mean that i mean i was we're almost done with the podcast but that that is a whole world that i am so glad i'm not in you're a freelancer you work for TOs, a bunch of them, and they're all interrelated. And team owners are sometimes TOs, and game devs are sometimes TOs, and hiring you as well. And then one of them owes you fucking money, and they owe you for a long time. But the minute you start bitching about that, your freelance world is yeah. like, well, Scott's kind of an asshole when he's owed money. You know, like, <laughs> do I not get hired because you fucking haven't paid me for a year? Is that my fault that I'm bitching? But, yeah, like, yeah. so I know that on-air talent is always nervous about when do I pull that public trigger because I could lose future business by pulling this trigger, you know, from that same company that owes me money or anybody else that thinks I'm just bitching, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, it's tough. I, I, I do not miss freelancing in any way, shape, or form. Sending invoices, waiting to get paid, following up on it. Here's my expenses again for the third time. You know, yeah, don't miss <laughs> any of that shit. Oh, God. Now, yeah. now Jason and I are on the other side. Oh, you didn't fill this, this right here. You didn't check this box. So I'm going to redline your expense report. You're going to have to send this back, but you missed the deadline. So now we're not going to be able to pay you until June 15th. <laughs> I don't make the rules. It's the accounting department. Right, yeah, right? yeah. It's that shit. Or it's a new accounting system. It's always a new accounting system that delays It's shit. amazing, yes, that I was told by three different people that, the, you know, the last person was supposed to get on it, but, you know, now they'll get on it, and it's just like, eh, okay. Oh, God. Um, That's the universal, like, freelance anything in our industry. doesn't matter if you're on air. It's just, like, trying to get paid. It's fucking everywhere. I mean, good luck getting a contract, actually, for all Well, yeah, signing something to then get paid, yeah. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> Uh, it's a whole it's a whole mess but yes we shall end <laughs> the podcast on that uplifting note uh, so thanks again for coming on uh, and you're thanks welcome. everyone to uh, listening or watching if you're on YouTube uh, thank you for Shane uh, to Shane for co-producing the podcast and Barrett for helping to organize and reach out to people and thank you to the people who support on Patreon and go the extra mile patreon.com slash zombie grub got Nick, Vinny, Steven, E.T., Ravi and Cuddle Bunny thank you guys very much and I hope to see you back here for episode 52 until then Sir Scoots 
Thank you again. And um, I know you don't really do anything on air, but we'd love to talk to you again, meet up in you know an event sometime. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And if you guys are ever in Arizona, hit us up, show you the place, show us our nice. fancy studio. And yeah. Awesome. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Take care.